We are in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And we are, we had uh, uh, covered some of this formerly. We're going to pick up and, and, and start going through some more of it. Um, in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we had talked a little bit about the Sabbath. And I said that as we, as we saw in the New Testament, in Colossians 2.16, we're no longer under a Sabbath when it comes to a Saturday. We are no longer under that, but it's always wise to take a day of rest. And, and I'll, I'll give you a story of my own from graduate school. Remember that, that uh, in, in, the, in the first semester of, of uh, uh, graduate school, actually the second semester of graduate school, I was living in a graduate dorm. It was before I was married. And uh, um, it was a big synthetic chemistry exam. And, and uh, uh, the exam was six hours and, and the way, the way that the, the structure would work is they give you one molecule and you got to come up with a synthesis and they give you six hours. And, uh, uh, everybody was cramming all their notes and everything and the, and the exam was on a Monday morning. And I remembered that I had committed, I wasn't going to work on Sundays. I was going to take, take the day of rest. Not that I'm under a commandment not to work on Sundays because the command is, is actually for a Sabbath day and we've been freed from that command. But the principle is still stands. And I saw all the students getting together and studying on this Sunday. And I said, Lord, I'm just not going to do it. Well, come Monday, I took the exam and God really blessed. The professor liked my results so much that he gave me an extra 25 points. So I ended up with 125 on the final. And, uh, uh, so I, and, and I had always seen that. And even, you know, some of the things that the pastor was talking about in church. And I, I, had, I had noticed that when my kids were growing up, people would schedule birthday parties and all the things that they couldn't cram in on a Saturday, they would cram into a Sunday. And uh, uh, so we just made a policy as a family that we weren't going to go to birthday parties and do these sorts of things on Sunday. That, that day for us was, was we were going to go to church as a family. That was for us. And, uh, and we were going to be together on a Sunday, but we weren't going to be driving all over the city. And God really blessed in that. And so we... we you know, I've always tried to maintain that, not to go to work on Sundays and, and just take that as a day of rest. So when God says in Genesis chapter 2 that he rested, you know, it's a good pattern to follow. Uh, and then, then we talked a little bit about last week about the, 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 the cultivation that God, it says in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, Then the Lord took man and put him into the Garden of Eden and, uh, to cultivate it and to keep it. God took Adam into this garden, which it says he planted, and he put him there to cultivate it. He put man there to cultivate it. So work has been an integral part of who human beings are. And very often, I I don't know how it is with you, but certainly for me, I can ask a person their name and like in a nanosecond, I will forget it right after they've said it. But if I ask a person what is your line of work? I always remember that. It's like that locks in for me because, because I associate the person a little bit with, with their line of work. And, and uh, uh, you know, if they're an engineer, I know how they think. And if, if, if they're an artist, they think, you know, totally the opposite. And it, it just helps me to understand who they are as people. But God put him there to cultivate the land. 
And, and, and the New Testament picks up on this. It says, if anyone, in Second Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not, he should not eat either. So the New Testament puts it quite strongly. So this movement that everybody should get a certain amount of money just for existing is not scriptural at all. You're going to, not only will you break the bank of a country doing that, you break the will of the people to work because it says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 26, a worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. And so there is something that's integral to human beings and work. And we see that even right here in the garden. And then in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And so we talked a little bit about that this time. This was the first command. Now, he had given other instruction before in chapter 1, but this was the first commandment. But he starts the command with the richness, the abundance. He says, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. So he's got this huge garden. He says, you can eat from any tree you want here. Any tree you want. So you see the abundance and the riches of God in his command. He says, except for one. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, this bothers some people sometimes. They say, why, why doesn't God want us to have knowledge? No, that's not understanding what the knowledge of good and evil is. The whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is human beings making their own decision. So one author puts it this way. He put it this way. He, sa- he says, uh, um, the story makes clear to the reader that human freedom or human reason, when it comes to, to choice, is itself deeply questionable and likely to likely the source of all our unhappiness. So much of the unhappiness of life comes from the decisions that we make. And I see it all the time. I went to college at the age of 18 and I have never left. So I've been in college for a long time. And I have seen people make decisions that affect their life and I know what's going to happen as a result of their decisions. Not that I'm a prophet, I just know what the result of decisions are going to be. I know if they decide to sleep around, it's going to destroy their future marriage. I know it. I see this pattern, this, these patterns that are followed. I know that when we choose things that are opposite to the will of God, there is destruction that is going to come. And a verse that, 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 that Roger just finished up on in the main service that I think is really fitting is 1 John 5, 3. It says, for this is the love of God. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Think about it. He says, you can eat of any tree, but there's one tree I don't want you to eat of. Well, that's the tree they go for. This whole idea within human beings to take upon myself and to think that my rationale, my intellect, my experience is sufficient to guide me in the decisions that I make. And what we see throughout the Word of God is the decisions that people make affect their lives, affect their lives tremendously. Now, there are some things that we have no particular commandment in. So, for example, 
you have a job offer from IBM and another one from Intel. Now, you're going to be hard-pressed finding in the Bible, which one of those do I take? But what you can do is you can commit it to prayer, and God may give you a sense of what you can take. You can ask people. I've always asked my father whenever it came to a new job, whenever it came to a new opportunity, because I respect his wisdom. So I would go to people that I would respect. I would always ask my pastor. I always had a good relationship with my pastor, and I valued that, and I'd ask my pastor... You know, I have these job offers. You know, what do you think here? And here's what's presented before me. Because I wanted their input. So there were people that I valued their input. It was the same in marriage. I valued other people's input input into this decision. It's not like, hey, I know what I need. I know what I want. You know, I can make this decision myself. I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I, want your, I want help. And we're going to talk more about making the decisions in, in marriage in just a moment. But there are decisions that we make in life that affect us. And God gives us warnings. He warns us many times in the scriptures about things that we should do. Let me show you, let me show you one thing. Let's turn to, uh, Proverbs chapter five, verse one. My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps lay hold of Sheol. Now, that's a very interesting passage. That is one of the first passages that I ever memorized as a believer. And boy, has that kept me out of trouble. It says, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. People that are going to sleep around, their ways are unstable and they don't even know it. You want to make that person your future spouse? Their ways are unstable and it's going to affect your marriage. Now then, my son, listen to me. You see, he's reaching out. Now then, my son, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Look, he establishes up front, just, just have nothing to do with her. Because if you, if, you, if you have something to do with that individual, little by little you're going to be drawn into a relationship. He says, have nothing to do with her. Or you'll give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And I have seen it. I've seen people fall into the wrong relationships and they lose everything. Everything in these wrong relationships. God gives us warnings. God has things for us. He warns us on these matters. So let me, let me go after now the one. God says, sometimes you have to leave the 99. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and he goes after the one. I don't know who the one is here today. But let me go after the one. The scriptures say in Luke chapter 14, verse 23, the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Compel them to come in. If I knew that your house was on fire, say I'm walking down the road and I see a house that's on fire. See in the back of the house there that there's flames shooting up. And I can see somebody sitting there watching TV. I'm going to go up and pound on that door. And they come in, hey, what's the matter? Your house is on fire. No, it's all right. 
look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the golf game. You know, this is really exciting. I don't want don't to leave it. <laughs> I grab that person and pull them out. And I say, you have any kids in there? You have a wife in there? Let me... You, is, he says, compel them to come in. So I give you an invitation today. It says in Ezekiel 18, verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. There are situations, there are people who have to understand that the commandments are full of love. Remember, God said, this is the love of God. That He's given us these commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. He gives us a whole garden of trees to eat off of. And the few things He says don't touch, we want to go out and touch. And those are the sources of unhappiness in our life. And He says, repent and live. Repent and live. This can very much be believers that are walking in the wrong way, or it can be unbelievers. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together. You see God saying to us, Come now, let us reason together. This is God just reaching out, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They are, though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. God says, Come to me. Come to me. I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I'll take care of you. God says this. He says, come now. Come to me. In Revelation 22, verse 17, God again implores us to come. The Spirit of the bride says, come. And let him who hears says, come. And let the one who who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take water of life without cost. Let him come. God is inviting you to come. Come to him. This is how God starts. He starts in life by inviting us to come in. Come into a relationship with Christ. I know that there are people that that have heard me for years, heard my speaking, and they still haven't come. He invites you. God invites us to come in. Think about pleasures of life. Some people say, you know, I don't want to come. You know, there's too many things I want to do in life. Well, think about it. Is there any lasting delight in the pleasures that you think you're going to have? Is there any lasting delight? So much of illicit relationships, so much of the illicit relationships are filled with pain afterward. They're filled with pain that comes afterward. Answer me, self-righteous one. Have you found rest for your souls? Have you found it? Is it there? In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2, it says, Why do you spend money for what's not bread and wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. God has an abundant garden for us. He says, come, delight yourself in this. He says, my commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God. My commandments are not burdensome. If you keep his commandments, there is pleasure with him. And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. What is it that keeps a person from Jesus? You know, sometimes they say, you know, I I feel myself too guilty. I'm too wicked. Well, the chief of sinners, his name was Saul. That's what the Bible says. The worst guy who ever lived, his name was Saul. He eventually became the Apostle Paul. He used to go out, find people that loved Jesus... And he would take them and bring them into a place where they would get killed. 
He would bring them to their death or he'd have them thrown into prison. Now, I ask you, how many people here have ever done that? Have ever pulled people out of their home to bring them into prison because they love Jesus? Nobody, okay? So, you're not the chief of sinners. Somebody else was the chief of sinners. But even if you're really bad, say you're the second biggest sinner in the world. Well, don't you need God all the more? You know, the person who's the poorest needs the most charity. The person who's the sickest needs the hospital the most. Come, come to him. Some people say, you know, I'll come, I can't come until I make my life better. Well, you're never going to be able to make it better. It's only going to grow stronger in despair. You'll never make it better. Are you better than you were last year or the year before? Isaiah says, for all of us, Isaiah 64, 6 says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like the filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You'll only become worse. It's not going to get better without Him. Some people say, well, you know, I just can't, I just can't believe this thing. I'm not asking you to believe. I'm just taking you to a man named Jesus. I'm not, I'm, you just come to Jesus and He'll fill you with the belief that you need. You come to Him. You come to Him. You're never going to believe if you focus on your own believing or your your own feeling. You come to Jesus. Just say, Lord, I come to you. He'll give you the belief. He'll give it to you. You say, this time isn't convenient. Well, when is a convenient time? This is the biggest cry of the unbeliever. It's not the right time. You know, I just just need more time to pray about it. Well, when's going to be the right time? When is it? Who are you going to pray to about it? You don't have a relationship with God. Who are you going to pray to? You come to God. When will that time come? You're going to wait until your deathbed? Say you're on your deathbed and, and death is choking you. You can barely speak. Is that when you're going to come? You know, deathbeds are stony things. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 it says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. Don't let today pass without receiving Him. Now is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 8, it says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. If you hear His voice today, don't harden your hearts. Come to Him today. Come to Him. If you are wayward, if you know the Lord, but you have strayed to Him, I'm saying, come back to Him today. Don't let this go on. Don't think that some other time it's going to be better for you. It's not. This is the common cry of man that human beings think, I just want a taste of this fruit. I just want to do my own thing for a while. It will draw you astray. It is the source of all human unhappiness. That fruit which Adam took, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil introduced pain and suffering into the world. Some of that has come upon us because of his sin. But there's plenty that comes upon us because of our own sin. Because of our own sin. Because of the decisions and the choices that we make, which are apart from the things of God. This might be your last chance. God might say, just as he did in Hosea chapter 4, verse 17, he said, He's gone on to idols, leave him alone. You can come to such a point that God might say that. He's gone on to idols, just leave him alone. That's what he said, had the prophet Hosea proclaim. He told Hosea, leave him alone. He's, he's given unto idols, leave him alone. You may say, well, I've already rejected the Lord. 
My master has sent me here to say, come. Come to him. Come to him. Today is the day of salvation. You may have been coming to this class for a year and hearing this over and over again. Come to him. Today is the day of salvation. If you're a believer and you think you've got it all together, but your life isn't showing it, there's a, there's a portion in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. It says, The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So this man was standing there justifying himself. And this Pharisee, it says, the way the Bible describes him, he was praying thus to himself. (laughs) Thought he was praying to God. He was praying to himself. He says, I thank you I'm not like other people. You know, I'm, I'm not unjust. I'm not a swindler. I'm not anything like that. But in verse 13 of of Luke chapter 18, it says, But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven and was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you've drifted away, beat your breast. And say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Come back to Him. Remember the Scriptures say, compel them to come in. Your house, your house is on fire. Come. Deathbeds are hard things. In Hebrews 10.31 it says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 1 John 3.23 says, This is His commandment. This is His commandment that we believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a command. It is, it, is, it is an imperative. It is a commandment. It is not an indicative. It is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. We are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have every right to walk immediately in the blessing of His commandment that He's given you. Walk in His commandment. He says... This is His commandment that we believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 31, 30 and 31, the jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they told him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on Him and you will be saved. It is that simple. Believe on Him and you will be saved. If you have gone in your own way, I say believe on Him this day and you will be saved. Believe on Him. Beat your breast and say, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. Don't let this day go by. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. This is what God drives into us. How can He say it more emphatically? Believe on what He has for you. It is perfectly right for you to follow in His commandment. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey His command. Believe the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. The scriptures say. You think that, you know, why, why are you hurrying me? Why are you pushing me? You know, I, I, I just have to think about this a little more. No. You don't have to think about this. This is a command. You obey it. You obey it. The scriptures say in Psalm 119 verse 60. I hastened. And did not delay to keep your commandments. Now you keep His commandment. You don't have to think about this. You just keep His commandment. You keep His commandment and it will go well with you. 
Your own thinking will mislead you. This is His commandment. He knows what is right for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need time to pray about it. You got nobody to pray to. Now is the acceptable time. Do not delay. You know, if, if, if we don't respond to his, his generous invitations, if we don't respond to His urging of us, we're in real trouble. There is impending condemnation. You know, really, are you as strong as you think you are? You don't even know you're going to live tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to live through this summer. All sorts of things come. Viruses come. Cars come. Run people over. Pedestrians get run over. There's car accidents. We never know. You know, in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. None of us know when the time is. For all you know, you're going to die and not live. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1. Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. You don't know that you're going to live. You know, if you die, maybe you come to this church and you, your parents will come to this church and say, you know, could, could, you, uh, could you perform this uh, funeral? You know, my, my, my son, my daughter attended your class. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do your funeral. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stand right by the casket and say, I never knew this person to know the Lord. This person, for all I know, despised Christ. They neglected a great salvation. That could be the message. That could be the message. Don't neglect this free gift that He offers. He offers a free gift. Some here are, indeed, may be condemned if they don't accept. It says in John chapter 3, verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the only name of, uh, in, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is serious stuff. Will you not turn? Will you not come to him? Maybe you won't die tomorrow. Maybe you'll live another 50 years. I hope this message haunts you if you do not accept this. I hope it haunts you every day that we have the fear of God. You know, some, some people have heard my message, have attended this class over the years, I've been teaching this class for 20 years. Many students have heard this. And now they're gone. They're dead. They died. Now they are in hell. Now they're in a place where they wish they had taken hold. Now they're in a place where they regret that they did not take hold of that which they heard. That's the fact of it. When you die outside of Christ, we will see what the outcome is. It says in Mark chapter 9, verse 44, this is the way Jesus described hell. So this is not my description. Never been there. I don't know what it looks like. But how did Jesus describe hell? How did Jesus describe a Christless eternity? This is how he did in Mark 9, 44, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Wow. Think about that. Where their worm does not die. That means in hell... There's a worm assigned to people there that doesn't die. No matter what you do, you can't kill it. And it is there to torment you. And you say, and, the, and it says, and the fire is not quenched. Now, I know you're really scholarly and you're, you're, you're really a smart scientist. I know that. This is below you. But for those of us who believe the Word of God, who believe Jesus, this is the way Jesus described hell. Remember, everything has been created by Him. 
He should know he made it. That's the way he described it. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So no matter what you do, you can't put the, fi- the heat of the fire out. When Jesus described the rich man who was in, 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 in hell, and Lazarus, this poor man who was in the bosom of Abraham, this rich man in hell, he said, could I just get a drop of water on my tongue? This is the description of Jesus himself. This is what awaits us if we don't receive him. This is what awaits you if you don't receive him. You want to see how else, what else he has to say about this? In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 24, he describes it this way. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 24. This is what God says. Because I called you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. Now I want you to remember, this is God speaking, not Jim Tour. I would never speak this way. But God does. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. Because I called you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all of my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then you will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Wow. Remember, that's not me. I wouldn't talk that way. That's how God speaks. So I don't know what your image of God is. You think, oh, no, God is all loving. He wouldn't do that. Well, why don't you just turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and tear that page out? Because you know better than he does. That's what he said. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. The complacency of fools. Meaning, if you don't act upon this, this is what's going to come upon you. And it it says, for the waywardness of the naive will kill them. You choose not to listen to this. It'll kill you. This is what the Word says. Let me tell you what it's going to be like when you get to the door, the threshold of hell. Listen to what the greeting is like. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9 through 11 describes what, how people are going to greet you when you get to hell. Very descriptive. I have no idea. I've never been there. But this is how the Bible describes it. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, even you have become weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp and your music and your harps you've brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. Whoa. That's the greeting you're going to get. Hey, let me show you where your bedroom is. And you're like, oh, okay. Let me see. Okay, and there, <laughs> there's your bed. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you. There's your bed. It's made up of maggots moving around. Remember, maggots. That's your bed. And then as soon as you lie down, all those worms over there are going to cover you. Worms are your covering. If it's in the Word of God, it is true. Every word in this book is true. 
Long after we're dead and gone, this book will remain. All of your worldly wisdom, all of your smarts, all of your intelligence, all of how, how well you do in math and chemistry and physics, how smart you are is gone. This book will remain. Every word in this book is true. This is what you face if you do not know Christ. I didn't say it. He did. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. You think, well, I'll just sleep over there. The maggots move over there. Wherever you move, there's your bed. And as soon as you lie down, boom, worms are your covering. And you have one special worm that's there to torment you amongst them. And heat of fire that cannot be quenched. That's how he described it. That's why I urge you to do as it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. This is an amazing thing. How can any thinking man or woman believe in a resurrection? Because He has placed it within the heart of all human beings to know the truth of the resurrection. You can investigate it, but not now. Now you take it by faith. Jesus has risen from the dead and he has placed that within the heart of everyone. He would not ask us to do something that's impossible to do. You believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead and you shall be saved. Do not let this day go by. Do not let this day go by. Or he may say, he's given unto idols. Let him go. Let him go. It's not my word. It's his word. You take it up with him. Isaiah chapter 43, verse, 20, verse 25. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. This is the one who invites you. This is the one who reasons with you. This is the one who implores you. This is the one who when all else fails, threatens us with fear of death. Because that is the forbidden fruit, the result of the forbidden fruit, by going our own way. He says, come to me, come to me. That is the cry, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, come to me. What he has for us is a much better place. No maggots there, no worms there. No fires there. That's a much better place. And he says, you come to me, I'll wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. I love you so much for my own sake. I'll wipe out your transgressions. And I'll remember your sins no more. You remember them? I, will, I don't remember them. They're gone from me. That's the gracious God that we have. He's not to be messed with. But that's the graciousness that he puts before us. Today we're going to pray. If you don't know the Lord, you pray with me to receive the Lord this day. We're going to have lunch right here in this room today. And uh, over that lunch, you come and talk to me. And we'll get you in a Bible study. And we'll get you going in the right direction. Or if you have strayed from the Lord, if you have neglected the great salvation that He has placed before you, I urge you, as I pray, you come back to Him this day. 
you come back to Him this day. He is the one who says to you, if you've strayed from Him, this is what He says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Every one of the choices that we make that are not in His will bring us unhappiness and destruction. And how He desires to spare us from that. That's the one who says to us, Come to me. I will remember your sins no more. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that you would get hold of their hearts today. For those here who do not know you, Lord, I pray, even as you call them to come unto you, as you bid them, as you reason with them, as you implore them, and as you let them know what awaits them. Father, I pray that this day they would pray with me right now and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin and come into my life. Forgive me. I hasten to keep your commandments today. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive me and come into my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, I pray. Father, for those who have gone their own way and walked in their own devices, Father, I pray that you draw them back this day. Father, before they go too far and you say, oh, they're given unto idols, let them go. Father, while their hearts are still willing to come to a Bible study, before they stray too far, Father, this day, may they repent before you and pray, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for what I have done. Draw me back under your arms. Draw me into your arms, O Lord. And forgive me. Father, have mercy on these young people today. For the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.